Hey, everybody, and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 109 of the podcast, and glad to have you with us for yet another episode as we continue on into the spring. And this is really when things heat up in terms of playoffs and postseason and also college free agency. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, I'll have a list on flowhockey.tv with that very soon um, and and more in depth than what we're going to be able to do on the podcast, but at least kind of give you an idea of what's out there and some of the names that, that NHL teams are exploring and, and different players uh, that will be available. We'll also talk a little bit about some of the players in the AHL. I think, you know, sometimes we, we let the guys get drafted and then we don't talk about them as much on here. And I want to make sure that we're doing that more because there are some pr- really tremendous uh Tremendous performances happening in the AHL. And then, of course, as always, we've got your questions. And there were a ton, and we've got a lot of good ones here uh, that can cover a lot of different ranges from the NHL draft to college hockey to everything in between. Um, And then also uh, a lot of drafted prospects as well that we're going to talk about. So plenty to get to today. Before we get into all that, I want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on your audio apps of choice. You can also follow us on YouTube and on flowhockey.tv or via the Flow Sports app. There is so much to uh, consume on Flow Hockey these days, and we've got a lot of that coming for you uh, soon. So if you haven't yet, also make sure you are subscribed to Flow Hockey for this most critical time of the year. We've got the AHA, uh, the Atlantic Hockey, CCHA. um, uh, their, Their playoffs are beginning very soon. CCHA is into their last weekend of their regular season. Atlantic Hockey is starting their postseason this weekend with a bit of a new format. And then we move on into, you know, the 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 actual championship games for the conferences where there are conference uh, or when you win the conference championship, you get that automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. So we will have those games for you as well. And of course, the race for the USHL playoffs and the playoffs across the Canadian Hockey League, the BC Canadian Junior Hockey League, the BCHL and so much more uh, are underway as well. So make sure you are subscribed for all of that. But we're going to go and talk a little bit more about college hockey today because we're getting to the end of the regular season. And once the season ends, that is going to put up the green light for NHL teams to start signing college free agents, players whose seasons will potentially end very soon. Um, And then there are also plenty that will play deep into the college hockey postseason, which won't end until April 13th, I believe, or 14th um, at the men's frozen four. So there are going to be some players that won't be available for some time, but wanted to talk a little bit about some of the players that NHL teams are going to be pursuing pretty significantly. And I think the guy that's at the top of a lot of lists right now, and I think he's the guy that probably belongs at a lot of the tops of lists is Colin Graff from Quinnipiac. So Colin Graff last season had just a tremendous overall season Hobie Baker finalist, one of the top players in the country, won a national title with Quinnipiac, transferred from Union College, uh, and then you know went to uh, chase down a national title, got it last year with 59 points in 41 games. Now, in 27 games this year, he has 43 points, and there was at one point earlier this season where he was averaging about two points per game, and so what do you get with a, a Colin Graf and you know he's he's probably a winger at the NHL level you know good enough size he's packed on some strength he's a very competitive player he's a guy that I think will 
you know, continue to um, develop because he's also on the younger side for college free agents. Currently 21. He won't turn 22 until just before next season. So that's a really young player. That's a moldable player. He's got a little bit more runway. You see guys that are 23, 24. Maybe, you know, they basically get that first NHL contract to show are you something or are you not? And then it's over. Uh, but I do think that Colin Graff is going to be one of those guys that has a long list of suitors because there is so much more to, to, to go with him. And I think last year there were a lot of teams that were kind of hoping he would come out last year and, and sign uh, in a contract and go into the NHL. But he decides to go back to Quinnipiac, says there's more that he has to do. He wants to develop. And that's such a smart decision. I always respect the players that say, I'm not ready yet. I need more time. Because let's face it, if you are a college free agent or a free agent of any kind, undrafted free agent of any kind, you do not get as many opportunities as those that were drafted by the team. So once a, once a team drafts a player, signs a player, that is a huge investment that that team is going to do. make sure they do everything they can to make it work out. If you are a college free agent, you basically get that first contract, and if you don't show enough promise or if you prove that, hey, you're at least AHL depth or you're an age, a guy that can be on the AHL roster that's maybe a call-up down the line, you are out. I mean, there are so many of these college free agents that will come in with a fair amount of hype. They only get that maybe that first year, the next year, and then that's it. And then you see them elsewhere. They go to Europe. They might end up in the ECHL. They might end up in a lot of different places, but – it is very difficult to make it. I think Colin Graff is one of those guys where there's just so much upside and there's so much hockey sense that he possesses and the way that he plays the game and the intelligence and, and, and skill that he plays with that there's going to be a lot of players or a lot of teams that are saying, yeah, let's sign up with that guy and let's give him some time. Let's have some patience with him. I think the team that does sign Colin Graff is likely going to, you know, have to burn that first year um, if they have time to do so. Uh, you know, Quinnipiac is certainly a team that has aspirations to go deep into the postseason, this college hockey season. And that's a guy that, you know, he'll be driving that bus. And so he's not going to be available until their season is over, which won't be until at least after the regionals um, of the college hockey uh, season. So you still basically have a month runway here with uh, with Colin Graff. Other thing I want to mention about Colin Graff is that he did not follow necessarily the path of many NHL players. He he came through, um, you know, he, he went through that USPHL system. You can watch the USPHL on Flow Hockey. Ends up going to the NCDC, which is their top level of their, their junior hockey league. Had a tremendous year, uh, two years really, with the Boston Junior Bruins in the NCDC. Goes to Union, immediate impact. Not a, not a superstar, but immediate impact. Transfers to Quinnipiac, and he's a superstar in college hockey and a key piece, a core member of a national championship team. So players that have that more kind of deliberate, longer-term pace, you know, you get a little bit more intrigue with those players because there's less of a precedent for those guys. I'm not saying it's unprecedented because there are plenty of guys that have had some USPHL experience and, and then go into the college hockey ranks and then come out and sign a pro contract. But I am saying, you know, this is a guy that I think is kind of outside of the norm, um, which is really interesting. And I think that it's a huge credit to him and the work that he's put in and the development that he's gotten at the college hockey level as well to really progress to this level. But I do think that Colin Graff is going to be the most sought after college free agent, probably the most sought after undrafted free agent on the market this year because of the age, because of the hockey sense and because of the pedigree. I mean, he's a winner. He's proven it already at the collegiate level. 
you know, that that's a, a player that you just love to, to have on your team. And there's another guy, one of his teammates, that's also going to be very high on a lot of lists of NHL teams, and that is Jacob Quillen. So Jacob Quillen is, uh, you know, a center. He is a guy that uh, plays the game hard. You know, I, I think he, he was the hero of the national championship game. He scored the overtime game-winning goal. Um, he is a native of Dartmouth, Nova, Nova Scotia as well. So he came up um, through uh, the for, through the maritime ranks, you know, in terms of his minor hockey, goes to the U.S. prep school system, then plays for the Penticton V's. He's kind of been all over the place. But over three years at Quinnipiac, he's developed into not just a good college hockey player, but a potential NHL prospect, a guy that has enough size, enough compete level, um, the work ethic. And then this year, you know, his goal numbers are down this year from last year. He had 19 goals in 41 games last season. He has 13 and 32 this year, uh, but 38 points, just the same number of points he had last year in 41 games he has in 32 games. And the thing that always stands out to me about Quillen is that the effort level, the pace, the different things that he can do with the, you know, just outworking the the opponents. That's such a key factor to me that says, hey, this guy's got a little extra something. It's not, you know, he's not going to be a dynamic skill player at the NHL level. He's not necessarily going to be a top six or really even, you know, he, he may not make it, but there's enough there to say this is a guy that you want to have in your system. He's got a proven winning pedigree. He scores big goals. He makes big plays. He has that national championship to his name and being the guy that scored the winning goal, he'll forever, you know, I I don't think he's going to have any problem uh, getting meals or drinks or anything else in Hamden, Connecticut for the rest of his life. But this is a guy that, that really I think has some potential because of that work ethic that he plays the game with. And that's what I think NHL teams are going to be looking at. So I do think Jacob Quillen is going to have a longer line of suitors in terms of guys that, that I find interesting in, in, in this ranks uh in the ranks of undrafted free agents moving on from the quinnipiac guys i think that the next place i'm going to go is to the university of maine and last year the number one free agent goalie i felt coming out of college hockey last season was victor ostman from maine and he had a a, you know a, a career year for maine last year as a junior he had shown a lot of promise in terms of you know, he's got the size, the 6'4 frame. He's got, you know, this this easiness about his game. He had five shutouts last year. And here, University of Maine this season is a team that is contending for an NCAA finals spot or an NCAA tournament bid. They are competing for a hockey's title once they get into the playoffs here. They are a legitimate team that really has come back to relevance. And yet... Victor Osman hasn't been a huge part of that. He's had a sub 900 save percentage, no shutouts this year. He's won 13 of his starts, but you know, you look at it and and his, his battery mate, Albin Boya, who is uh, playing uh, as a freshman has put up better numbers in fewer starts. Uh, He has 12 starts to, or 12 appearances to Osman's 20 and Boya has a six, four and one record, but a nine sixteen save percentage. Um, And so there are, you know, when you see that, when you see a player that is, playing, you know, ha- putting up better numbers and, and has played a fair amount lately, he played both games last weekend for Maine against Northeastern, uh, gave up five goals over the course of two games, but had a 32 save win. You know, you're saying, oh man, what does that really mean? So 
here's the thing. Osman is still going to get signed. I think that the package that he possesses in terms of his athletic toolkit, the fact that he's been a four-year player in college hockey and has had largely good numbers. Um, you know, they're a much more offensive team this year. Defensively, there are certainly some um some some diminished abilities there in terms of, you know, they're, they're not a great defensive team. They do give up a fair amount of goals, but I just see that Osman hasn't had the level of consistency. He hasn't played in a couple, you know, 10 days now. Um, his last two games were five goal losses where, you know, where he gave up five goals in those losses. And so, you know, I think that the the shine is off of him a little bit in terms of a college free agent. But as I mentioned, he still has that athletic toolkit. He still has the experience level. And I do think NHL teams are going to sign him and sign him with enough interest to make him to still consider him among the top college free agents. But he was a guy that had a lot of interest coming out of last year. I have a feeling that some of the teams that were interested in him last year may not be as much so now seeing the step back that he's taken in terms of the numbers. Um, because it's usually not a great sign if they're not going in a positive direction. Um, but I also think that there's a bit of a outlier scenario here in that I just think that Maine isn't quite as gifted defensively this year. Um, but it'll be interesting nonetheless to see. But Victor Ostman played uh, you know, primarily in Sweden, came over to the USHL in 2019, played for the Chicago Steel, and then had a four-year uh, career at Maine, and he is still going. But now we'll have to see, is he at risk of losing his starting job on the cusp of, you know, hoping to sign an NHL deal, something to monitor for sure, but a very interesting player. Then there are always players. So, you know, we talk about Quillen and Graf. Those are the guys that are going to have a lot of suitors, the guys, the guys that have, you know, the potential to be NHL players in the pretty near future, really, if, if they, if all goes well, and if they're in the right situation and all those different things, but there are other players that have other abilities that, that allow them the opportunity to be, a higher level college free agent. One of the guys that I wanted to talk about in that category is a guy, Josh Ernesti, who plays at Michigan. He played at St. Thomas before that, and now has been playing with the Michigan Wolverines. And he's the kind of guy where it's more about what does he bring to the table? Is there somewhere that he can play a role? And that is really what I think is going to be interesting about him, because I do think there is a role for a player like him. 6'3", over 200 pounds, good speed. He plays the game fast. He plays it hard. He's got some heaviness to him. A lot of penalty minutes in college hockey ranks over the years. Uh, last two years, he had 54 pims last year, 43 already this year. Uh, his numbers are down as he plays down the lineup at Michigan compared to where he would have played at St. Thomas. You know, I think he would have been a you know, top of the lineup player at St. Thomas, probably more third, fourth line for Michigan. Uh, doesn't get power play time, things like that. But... There's a lot there. I think, again, this is a player where you say there's going to be interest in him because of the size, because of the athleticism, uh, because of the, the, the hard-nosed style that he plays with. Those guys who don't necessarily put up the numbers still have a pretty significant market for them in the college free agent ranks because there is this scarcity of that heaviness that, that teams are looking for. And we have some questions coming up later in the show. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that, about the – the search for that, you know, we how, how often do you hear, oh, he's so difficult to play against? Well, these guys that are heavier, faster players are usually tougher to play against because they have that hard-nosed style. They get in the way. They are disruptive players. I think that's what Ernesti is. And, you know, he's only a sophomore in terms of, you know, college hockey, but he is 22 years old. Um, so, you know, this is a guy that played a significant amount of junior hockey, 
played in the North American League, played in the, the USHL, um, you know, was a, a Minnesota high school player as well. You know, goes on to St. St. Thomas last year and then comes to Michigan. Um, there was interest in him last year as well, coming out of St. Thomas. So that is another guy that I think um, will be really uh, interesting to see where he goes if he comes out, if the mark, you know, and that's the thing is that, University of Michigan is a pretty alluring place, and they they seem to be able to hold on to players longer than maybe you would expect. Uh, you know, TJ Hughes last year, who is on going to be on our free agent list this year, was a guy that got some interest last year but opted to stay in school. His numbers have been okay. You know, like I think that there's probably a little bit less interest in him than there might have been uh, before, but I, I still think that that's another guy where he could decide to go back to school and the market could shift in his favor. But I think a guy like like Ernesti who is is actually, you know, a uh this this the hat fits the size profile that teams are looking for. I think that he's going to have a fair amount of people after him um to sign him as there were last year after his breakout freshman season at St. Thomas. So those are a couple of the guys to think about. There are a lot of others. We're not going to get to all of them today. Um, you know, there, there, there are players like Reese Gaber, who's been on my free agent list pretty much every year since he's been in college, decorated USHL career, really strong performances throughout his career in college at North Dakota. The big question for him has always been tied to his size, but everybody loves the heart that he plays with, the intensity that he plays with, and the fact that he can still produce points. You know, those players that are a bit smaller, but have that tenacity have shown and have done it for at the USA or at both the USHL and the college level as Gaber has will continue to get interest. Um, but I did want to point out some of the guys that are underclassmen. I mentioned TJ Hughes already sophomore at uh, Michigan, but an older sophomore, a guy that, you know, very well could get enough interest to potentially leave school, but I, I wouldn't be shocked. These are players that I think, you know, at least have the option to return to school and make a decision later on. One of the names that's popped up late in the season is a guy that's had just a really tremendous, um, really since November on in college hockey, and that is Jack Williams from Northeastern. And, you know, he is a guy that ha at one point, you know, he was the top scorer in college hockey. You know, when you, if you started the season a month later, basically, he got off to an incredibly hot start, and that really allowed him to continue moving in a very positive direction. And now with the goal scoring that he's shown, the, you know, the, the offensive output that he's shown um, in this, in this game so far uh, is pretty impressive. And, and so what I think with, with Jack Williams is he's got a decision to make. Um, he, you know, I think for a player like him, it, it stands to reason that he could return to school. This has been a bit of a breakout year he's doubled his point total from last season in fewer games um 16 goals already this season so you know i'm really impressed with what he's shown but he doesn't have that that same profile of a guy that that you know like a colin graf who's now had two years of this proven uh proven production and then also you know the the fact that he's got the national champion he's got all these other things that kind of come into it you know, Williams doesn't have necessarily any one standout trait where you're like, that is absolutely NHL. And so a player like him is going to get a lot of interest this year, but does it ultimately make the most sense for him to leave? That's going to be up to him. Uh, because I think if you're Northeastern, you're starting to play some of your best hockey now, you win the bean pot, you know, you're starting to feel like there's some momentum building and maybe next year there's going to be more of that. Um, you know, that's going to be the decision, I think, for a lot of players and guys like him. 
Um, another one to point out, also from the University of Maine, we talked about Osman, but Josh Nato, uh, you know, he is he has been uh, he, he has been outstanding this year, matching his brother point for point. Uh, the you know Bradley was a first round draft pick last year of the Carolina Hurricanes. Joshua undrafted, um, but you know he is really, I mean an incredibly smart player. And that's the thing that, that come, that I keep coming back to. He's a 2003 birth year, um, you know, just turned 20 in October. And so that's a guy, I don't think that there is a ton of NHL teams that are going to rush to sign a five foot eight forward with, with decent skating ability, but that high end hockey intelligence, he had 110 points in the BCHL for Penticton last year. 39 points in 30 games for Maine this year. That's a guy, you know, I think he could be on the radar. Now, the interesting thing is, is I don't think Bradley is going to be signing with the Carolina Hurricanes after his breakout freshman season. I do not think that that either makes sense for him or for the Hurricanes. And we also just heard uh, a report from Mark Diver who, who said that there's a chance that Cade Weber, who is a defenseman for Boston University and drafted by Carolina, will not sign and therefore become a free agent and a guy that I think a lot of teams are going to be interested in looking at because of his size and his athletic profile and his pedigree. But this is an interesting situation for the Carolina Hurricanes. So say you would want to sign Bradley Nato. Where are you going to put him next year? They don't have an AHL affiliate. They have to get that figured out. And this is definitely one of those things that players are going to have to take into account when they decide whether or not they're going to sign. Not having an AHL affiliate does negatively impact your ability to sign players. They want to know where they're going to go. And if, you know, you got to find a way. So the, the Chicago Wolves remain without an NHL affiliate. We'll have to wait and see exactly what happens if there's ever any piece or, or mending of the fences that can be done that allow the wolves to, to re-engage in an affiliate at some point. Uh, but if it's not going to be Carolina, Carolina is going to have to find a better alternative than what they've had this season, because it really hasn't necessarily helped their prospects very much to be all spread out. But I think you look at a guy like a, like a Joshua Nadeau who has to figure out exactly what he's going to do with his future. I think you can buy some more time. He's only 20 years old. He'll still, you know, being 21 next year, there's still a lot of teams that are going to be looking at that player. But I think his hockey sense is at such a high level. The teams are going to have to decide, you know, let's get him into the AHL and see what he can do. Um, or, you know, is he not really ever going to be an NHL caliber prospect? And he's more of that kind of AHL contract after his senior year kind of player. Those players can sometimes turn out to be, uh, big signings as well and, and guys that help you in your organization in other ways. So that's the other thing that we'll be seeing over these next couple weeks. It's not all about who's going to the NHL. I mean, college free agent signings and undrafted free agent signings are just as much about, you know, getting players into your AHL system. You know, the chance that they're going to play in the NHL is always your hope, but you, there are always benefits to signing these players because as we've seen the draft isn't always going to produce legitimate prospects these are guys with a lot more runway they're very easy to sign they're cheap to sign they don't you know that they, they don't really count uh, against uh, your cap too much if they do make the nhl uh, because they're mostly on a nhl entry-level contracts so there are just so many benefits and it's basically a free player um you know and that that contract really the the only thing that it you know, gives you pauses. Each team has their 50 limited contracts. 
you know, that's that's kind of the only thing that you, you worry about in terms of taking up space. And then the one last guy that I wanted to mention on the college free agent front, Cooper Black. Uh, he is a, a, a rather large, and by rather large, I mean about six foot eight goaltender for uh, Dartmouth. And I got to say, this is this is one of those players where you can totally understand the NHL interest. He played 30 games last year for Dartmouth, uh, sub 900 save percentage. This year, he's at a 909 in 25 games played, uh, has two shutouts. Again, six foot eight, 223 pounds. Um, that is a player that is absolutely going to catch the attention. Uh, if you can be that size and you can play adequately enough, you're going to get a chance because I think teams just want to work with you. Uh, this is a guy that you know spent minimal time in the uh, USHL, only one game with the Omaha Lancers, but also played in the NHL, in the BCHL with the Nanaimo Clippers. Uh, had a really solid BCHL season, his one season in 2021-22. Um, so that's the other thing is there's a track record there. Sophomore at Dartmouth, he's currently getting an Ivy League education. Those guys typically aren't in a huge rush to leave, um, but – that's another player where NHL teams are going to be sniffing around. They're going to be interested because how many teams wouldn't love to get their hands on a six foot eight goaltender that has, you know, this athletic ability, uh, the quickness, different things like that. Those still questions for me. I don't necessarily know that they project favorably. There's also been a lot of discussion about, okay, well, size matters in goaltending, but is there such a thing as too big? And there are definitely some teams that have said, hey, if it's a you know, guy beyond six foot six that might not move as well, might not have, you know, might have more issues like hip problems, back problems, different things like that that come along. So that's a whole other set. But, you know, I, I don't think there's really ever been any, that many people in the NHL that would say somebody is too big uh, for the NHL. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. But that is another underclassman that I wanted to bring up because I think he's a very intriguing prospect um, and one that NHL teams are at least talking about. All right. So before we move on to our question and answer, I want to talk a little bit about some of the players in the AHL. And, and what's inspired this is Logan Stankoven, who's leading the AHL in scoring, did get his call up to the Dallas Stars, scores a goal already. Um, so he's got his first NHL goal, a guy that's been, you know, a CHL player of the year, incredible pedigree. Um, but I think he's such a great example of why the AHL matters so much to the NHL, because obviously you're not all, all going to be Connor Bedard where you're drafted immediately and you're in the NHL immediately. It just doesn't happen that much. And I think that NHL teams, um, you know, would be would love to use their AHL teams even a little bit more liberally, but there are obviously rules that that prevent that from happening. But Logan Stankoven, you know, here's a guy, 97 points last season in the WHL, 104 the season before, two-time member of Canada's World Junior Team, um, a, a gold medalist at the Under-18 World Championship. I mean, this guy has pedigree for days, yet – he was still a second round draft pick. And why? Because he's a five foot eight forward. But as we've seen, and then and as he's proven throughout his junior hockey career and then going into the AHL with the Texas Stars, he is a legitimate talent. And he is going to probably help the Dallas Stars as they make this push here. And that is a team with legitimate Stanley Cup aspirations. And you know, you look at Dallas's drafting over the years, and I mean it is truly remarkable 
Um, you know, I remember there have been years where I, you know, Wyatt Johnston was a pick where I was just like, how did, how did they do that? How did, how did they know, you know, like, why did they, why did they pick that player who missed an entire OHL season and really only had played a little bit in his draft year? And, you know, he becomes an everyday player for them. You know, they, they have had some really tremendous draft uh, uh, in recent years, you know, you have Wyatt Johnston and Logan Stankoven in the same draft. And that was the, the COVID draft. That was the year where, you know, the WHL season was shortened. Um, really, really impressive picks. They have a, a few other guys on there that, you know, could eventually play for them. Maverick Bork, who was their first round pick the year before that, currently the second leading scorer in the AHL. Um, so really good there. Thomas Harley, who's having a breakout season as an NHL player this year, was their first round pick in 2019. Um, you know, it's interestingly enough in 2018, tied to Landry, a pick that I like quite a bit. You know, he's had a, a fair NHL career. He's kind of bounced around a little bit. But I mean, the 2017 draft is the one that goes down in history as one of the best and, and just craziest ever, um, where they get Miro Haskin in at third overall. Jake Ottinger at 26th overall and just Jason Robertson at 39th overall picks one, two, three in 2017. They also had Jacob Peterson and Dilla Ferguson who have played NHL games in that draft class. But those top three guys, I mean, you just really have to tip your cap to uh, Joe McDonnell and, and also Jim Nill for the job that they did um, putting those draft classes together and, 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 and McDonnell is, you know, really, I think, has solidified his place as as, as an elite scout uh, for uh, an elite scouting director for the that run of success that Dallas has had. But it just goes to show you, even when you don't have the high picks, or when you know when you do, you hit with a Haskinen, you find ways to you know to to develop and and, and get those talents. And Jason Robertson, Thomas Harley, um, you know, T- Ty Delandria, Jake Ottinger. I mean, all these guys spent time in the AHL. Wyatt Johnston didn't. He's one of those surprise guys that was able to jump right into the the uh, the NHL. But, you know, these other guys have spent significant time in the AHL, and it just goes to show you how important that is for players. And so wanted to talk about some of the other guys that, that, that I've really liked this year in terms of how they've played. Um, and I think if there's one thing that both the – AHL and the ECHL can say in terms of how they help the NHL is in their ability to develop goaltenders. What we've seen is that goalies cannot make it to the NHL without going to the AHL first. Buffalo tried it with Devin Levi this year. It didn't work. He's back in the AHL. That's where he should be. Let it, let him continue to develop. One of the guys that's now been in the, he's he's now in his second full AHL season. Um, he did come over and practice with the Milwaukee Admirals the year before that. But Yaroslav Askarov. And so in his first year in North America, a 9-11 save percentage in 48 games with Milwaukee. So think about that. 48 games. Most he had ever played in a season in in his career, if you don't count back when he was in junior and played so many international competitions that it built up to 48 games. So he has 48 games, 12 games in the playoffs. And now he's taken another step. He's gotten two NHL games this year, has his first NHL win, 29 games with the Admirals. Admirals just had a, uh, a, a 19 game, I believe 19 game winning streak in the AHL. One of the longest in the history of that league. 
Askarov is 21-7-1, five shutouts this year. Uh, he's got his own, uh, I don't know if you saw the 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 giveaway that the Admirals had, but the Yaroslav Askarov bench press, bobble bench press guy, uh, that that where, where he bench pressed the net after one of his many great starts. But the step-by-step process, you know, Askarov was kind of in no man's land in Russia, you know, and Russia can be a tough place for young goalies because coaches are going to go with the older goalie in the AHL. There is much more of a split. There's always going to be those veteran guys. And like, he's playing, you know, he's played with, I believe Troy Grosnick. Now, you know, like they're, they're playing with guys that are often veteran players, but the development that they're getting, the reps that they're getting, the kind, the quality of player that they're facing, the quality of the defense in front of them, all of those things allow for goaltenders to get prepared for the NHL. And what we've seen is Yaroslav Askarov take his game to another level this year. And that's why I think that people were saying, hey, you know, UC Saros might be expendable for the Nashville Predators. And honestly, I, 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 can, I can buy that. And we'll see what the Predators ultimately do near the trade deadline. If they do trade Saros, you would think that that means that they have all the faith in the world that Yaroslav Askarov, who was drafted 11th overall in 2020, that he's going to be the guy long term and could be their goalie for a long time. And you think about the path of the other goalies that have come through in, in recent years, Igor Shosturkin, Ilya Sorokin, you know, even Andre Vasilevsky. Those guys spent less time in the AHL, but they still spent time in the AHL, got used to the North American game, made the transition. Yaroslav Askarov and the Nashville Predators have had the luxury of having UC Saros, so it allowed them to really allow, allow Askarov to overmarinate. And Askarov is a player where I really think that, that the best is yet to come for him. He is figuring things out. He is playing more reserved, and, and, and he's still wild. He's still athletic. He's still going to sell out for big saves and sometimes end out of, out of position. He's still going to wave at pucks every now and again uh, with his glove hand being a little bit less consistent. But, I mean, this is a guy that has now built up himself into a real quality NHL prospect, um, even though the, the years following his draft, 2020, was played in three different levels of hockey, played internationally, didn't look great at that World Juniors that year. The following year, just a few games um, in the KHL as he was kind of uh, relegated to backup status there. And now he's had two full years in North America to prove that he is a legit NHL talent, which is great to see. Another goalie I want to talk about is a guy we talked about a lot last year. We, we were able to watch him throughout last season on um, – on uh, on flow hockey and playing for the uh, playing for the Toledo walleye. And this year he spent the entire year in the AHL with the grand Rapids Griffins. And this is the thing about Sebastian Cosa that I think is always been important to remember. You'll recall he was drafted in 15th overall first goalie taken in the 2021 NHL draft. He's taken before Jesper Wallstedt, who to me, you know, was the more polished, more proven goalie prospect. However, the Red Wings have taken a more, you know, measured approach. They allowed um, Costa to play three full years in the uh, in the WHL. His numbers did take a dip in the fa- final season. Didn't get Canada's starting job at the World Juniors that year. 
They go ahead and they give him a little bit of time in the AHL, but then they send him to Toledo and he plays 46 games with the Toledo Walleye last season, a 913 save percentage, 917 save percentage in the playoffs as uh, Toledo went on a bit of a run, but didn't ultimately win the title. Now Kosa is in the AHL. He was most recently named the uh, goaltender of the week in the AHL, got his first pro shutout um, in, or sorry, his first AHL shutout, I should say. Um, as he had four with uh, Toledo last year. But the AHL shutout, shutout the Texas Stars, one of the highest scoring teams in the league, had a 28-save shutout there. Then was the streak breaker of the Milwaukee Admirals, broke the streak with a 37-save performance um, just on Sunday of this past week. This is another player where he is getting that extra time. He is finding his way as a professional. He is finding out what works for him. He is reading plays better. I think that this is a player that is taking that gradual pace. And it's again, the importance of step-by-step development, the importance of impatient of patience, even when you've got a player that's drafted 15th overall, just because he was a high, high draft pick doesn't mean he's on a faster schedule. And so I think, you know, as Buffalo found with a guy who was a seventh round prospect and Levi, who was one of the greatest collegiate goalies we've ever seen, even he needed and probably should have started in the AHL to build up to being the starter of the NHL team. I can't stress that enough. Being in the AHL is not, it's essentially now a prerequisite to be a goalie in the NHL. We're seeing it with Askarov. We're seeing it with Kosa. We've seen it with pretty much every goalie that's in the league right now. They have played a significant amount or at least a, a good chunk of a season in the AHL before they became NHL goaltenders. And I don't know that there is another thing that is so tried and true as that um, in sports where clearly um, it's such a difficult position to develop, but it is the one that requires the most patience and the teams that have that patience um, certainly get to uh, enjoy that. And, and, and hopefully for these players and obviously neither Kosa nor Askarov have played enough NHL time to say, Oh, they're, they're, they're on the track. They're, they're, they're going to be stars. But I think that what we can say is that they are getting closer and closer to being ready to be NHL goaltenders. And what a good what good news that is for both the Nashville Predators and the Detroit Red Wings. One more player in the AHL that I want to touch on before we we move on is a guy that I think, you know, started off in the NHL. And I think there was a, a, a belief that he was going to be there the whole season. Um, but, you know, the Calgary Flames haven't had a great year. Matt Coronado did get 15 games. He had three points uh, with Calgary. They move him down to the AHL, and boy, has he ever torn it up. 41 points in 38 games, 15 goals. Um, I think that this is a guy that's going to be an impact player in the NHL next season. Um, He'll have, you know, basically a real rookie season next year where I think he'll be with the team the whole way. Um, Calgary is essentially kind of looking like a team that's in the midst of, of, of a, of the beginning stages of a rebuild kind of situation. We'll see what they do at the trade deadline. But when you see a guy like Matt Coronado tearing it up in the AHL, as he has over a point per game um, in his first professional season, very good sign for your team. Um, You know, so that is a a great thing to see. And a guy that, you know, we we've seen on our platform, uh, um, you know, a few times when he was at Harvard and then also, uh, a USHL alum as well. It's great to see those guys finding success. But again, um, you really can't overstate the importance of the AHL to the NHL. And this season, we're seeing those players get those opportunities. So guys to watch out for. 
All right. So we're going to rip through some question and answers uh, here because that's what we do on this show. And you guys have sent in a lot of questions. Um, and uh, we're going to go through some of these a little bit quicker. Some of them we've already covered a little bit of. But we're going to get things started off. And Chris is coming in hot with this first one. Um, and this is something that can change all the time. This one from Chris says, who is the best player in the world right now, not in the NHL? Best player in the world, not in the NHL. Okay. To me, it's Macklin Celebrini. And, you know, it's so funny. You know, we think about that. These guys that have been drafted that are ready, you know, and, and I think you can make a case that he's not the most NHL ready um, of the prospects, considering the guys that have already been drafted. You look at Logan Stankoven right now. You look at Cutter Gauthier and what he's done for Boston College. Um, you know, you look at guys like Askarov. Um, but to me, it's amazing how obvious the answer tends to be. The number one draft prospect, more times than not, is that next best player in the world. He's not in the NHL only because he's too young to be in the NHL. And so, you know, we've seen that. Like last year, we would have said that about Connor Bedard. Is he really the best player? Yes, he is the best player outside of the NHL. I think you can make cases for various players. I think, uh, you know, Nikishin, the Carolina Hurricanes prospect that's been an unbelievable defenseman in the KHL for the last several years, he's obviously a candidate for this. Askarov, who's having just a tremendous year, a high-level draft pick, a guy that, you know, isn't in the NHL yet, but when he has been in the NHL, has had some success this year. That's another potential option. But to me, the answer is obvious. It's Macklin Celebrini, and uh, he's the guy that, that that I will ride with because I do think that he is going to be an instant impact player. All right, we got another question here from Chris. This is a different Chris, though, and I guess if your name is Chris, and since my name is Chris, you will get on here, but this goes back to our original conversation. Chris asks, Quinnipiac's graph is going to be a hot UFA commodity. Which teams are good fits? So the, the, that's always uh, the thing that I think players have to decide when they become a college free agent is not just where do I want to play long term, but what is a good fit for me? Where is the path forward? So I've often thought that players that are light graph could find themselves like, you know, you look at like a Seattle Kraken where they are a team that is light on homegrown prospects because they've only had two drafts so far. Um, and, but, and they're also light on current NHL players that are going to help them long-term. And so there are opportunities there for a player like Colin Graf to say, okay, that, that makes sense for me. Um, there was a period of time where the, where the golden Knights were getting the top level college free agents. I think about Zach Whitecloud being a tremendous example of that going to Vegas and then, you know, becoming a core piece for a Stanley Cup team over the next couple of years. He went to a place where there was going to be opportunity, not right away, but soon. And I think sometimes that's better. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see with that. I mean, Graf, you know, the, the thing about players is that uh, like him is that, you know, sometimes there's that hometown pull. We've seen, you know, the New York Rangers have had that pull. The, the Boston Bruins have certainly had that pull. And he is a Lincoln Mass native. Um, the Bruins don't have tremendous depth in their prospect pool, but they do have, you know, guys like Fabian Liesel who are on the on the come up a little bit. Some of the uh, the Georgie Merkulov, who was a college free agent himself, has really come along as well. So that's uh, that's going to be an interesting one to watch. And uh, but I think you know for Colin Graf, where is the best fit? I mean, I think he's the kind of player where he's going to go where you know basically kind of wherever he feels 
he's going to get that opportunity soonest. Um, because I think if you're leaving college, especially when you have, you know, another year of eligibility left as he does, um, you want to go to a place where you think it's going to be a shorter timeline to get to the NHL. And so I think those are the types of places that he's going to look at. So like places like Seattle still make sense. You know, even places like Chicago where they're, you know, on the rise, um, those types of places where there could be opportunity soon, San Jose. I mean, those types of, those are the, the, the kinds of places that if I were a college free agent, I would be looking because I, I see the opportunity, but then there's also those emotional pulls. Like, you know, does it make sense? You, if you, Join the Bruins. Well, hey, their AHL team is in Providence. I'll be close to home at all times. I can play in front of my family. You know, I'm not far um, from Quinnipiac. You know, all those different things uh, come into play. So um, I think he's got a plethora of options, and I think most NHL teams are going to be very interested in uh, handing him a contract. All right, next question here comes from Brian, and Brian says, as we all know, things can change, but at this moment, who are your top draft sleepers? All right, so sleepers. So these are guys that I, you know, when I think about sleepers, I think about players that are probably going to be undervalued, um, you know, because of a certain thing. So I think about size, you know, who's a small player that I think has a long timeline that has, you know, the potential to to kind of move through, um, you know, and so, some of these names might end up being familiar to you. I think, you know, if you know about the USHL, you've probably heard the name Max Swanson and Max Swanson is, you know, he played up at the world junior a challenge last year. I uh, was on the world junior a challenge again this year, played um, at the Holinka Gretzky cup. He is, you know, a part of the Fargo force who are having one of the greatest seasons in the history of the USHL right now, if you didn't know, and he's one of their top scorers and a driving force behind their success. But he's five foot seven, and there are a lot of teams that are not going to have him very high on the list. And I'm, I'm not. He did not make my top fifty. Um, you know, I don't think that he, I don't think that he would make a lot of top 60s, 70s, 80s even, uh, because of the size factor. But I think he's a competitive player. I like the track record that he's shown so far. He's going to the University of North Dakota, where they've had some success with undersized players, guys that have you know grown into solid players. And maybe they're not everyday NHLers. Maybe they're they're guys that you know kind of are are, are a bit tweeners at times. Um, but that is a place where we've seen smaller players find a way. And and I think that Max Swanson, who's a, a native of Alaska, uh, is going to be one of those guys to really keep a close eye on. Um, and so. I like him a lot, and I think that that's going to be uh, something to uh, to keep a close eye on there um, because he's he's one of those those kind of sleeper guys. I think a lot of those USHL players are certainly in that mix. You know, I think a guy that probably isn't much of a sleeper, he probably could be a mid round pick. Uh, Hagen Burroughs who's playing at Minnetonka. He's up for Minnesota Mister Hockey. Those guys almost always don't fly, but they, they don't fly below the radar, especially if they win Mister Hockey. Uh, but he was also a point per game player with Sioux city this year um, in the USHL. So I think that's a day two pick that I like quite a bit. A guy that I think has some heaviness to his game, um, you know, plays a good style of hockey and, and that NHL teams alike. And I don't think he's a real sleeper, but, but he's one of those day two guys that, that I think are, are interesting. So I'll, I'll uh, just leave them at that because I think it's good uh, um, uh, to talk about those guys. Um, got a question here from uh, Luke and Luke asks, Growth of Go Avs Go 2023 first rounders Callum Ritchie and uh, Guliaev in their draft plus one season. So, you know, I think the we talked about Callum Ritchie last weekend. Um, and uh, so I'll talk about Mikhail Guliaev today um, because, I mean, you, you have to really enjoy what he's put together this year in terms of, 
you know, the, the fact that he plays a regular regularly in the KHL at just 18 years old, he's, uh, you know, an undersized offensive minded defenseman. His numbers don't pop out at you, but I wouldn't expect them to for a player of his age. Um, you know, obviously we don't get to see these Russian players in the international tournaments anymore, which makes it a little bit tougher to gauge, to, to gauge them peer to peer. But I think what we've seen from Goliath overall is growth and development and the fact that he's played, you know, he only played 13 at KHL games last season. Now he's playing, you know, a full year this year um, in his last and most recent game, he had 14 minutes in the game before that 19 minutes on the ice. So, you know, he is a player that's getting shots on goal as well. Um, you know, showing that, that dynamic skating ability, the dynamic hand skills that he has. Um, and, and I think that he's, he's one of those guys where, you know, it's just going to take a little bit more time still under contract in the KHL with Avangard till 2025, 26. So you're still waiting two more seasons after this one before you're going to be able to get him into the mix. Um, if you are the Colorado avalanche, and I do think they'll want to get him in the mix quickly, but I think as we've seen, you know, these players, they get, they do their time, they come over still. Um, you know, we'll see if that continues, but that's a player that I think is on the right track. And certainly when you see a player at 18, getting a regular shift in the KHL, playing every game, um, you know, that's a, that's a very, very good sign. All right. Next one comes from Flyers Jabroni and his, he has thoughts on the Flyers London Knights prospects, Oliver Bark, uh, Oliver Bonk and Denver Barkey. So that is uh, difficult to say, but you know, great note from the OHL uh, earlier today that I saw was that Oliver Bonk is leading the league in power play goals with 15 so far this season. He is no defenseman has ever led the league in that category, according to the OHL. So if he's able to do that, that's pretty darn impressive. I think that the Oliver Bonk's offensive game has grown significantly. I think that he's become a more, um, you know, I, I have more faith in him as a, a true two-way talent. Um, I like the player last year. I like him even more now. Um, you know, he just, I mean, you look at the production, 22 goals so far this season, uh, 60 points in 49 games. I mean, he is absolutely crushing it. Um, you know, had a decent World Juniors. wasn't all you know wasn't great, wasn't terrible. It just was you know okay. Um, but I mean, this is a guy that you know has really taken a step. And you have to wonder, you know, is he going to challenge for a spot as early as next season? Um, I'm sure if you're a Flyers fan, you would love to see that. I don't necessarily know that I can predict that outright as happening, or that that's the appropriate timeline for him. But it is interesting nonetheless. And then meanwhile, Denver Barkey, I mean, talk about an explosive season. I mean, the way that he has really come on here offensively, the production is really breathtaking in terms of what he's brought to the table as a, you know, a, just inside the top 100 pick, 95th overall last year, 82 points in 53 games for him. That's up from 59 last year, 29 goals up from 22 last year. And he's a bit of a spark plug player. He is a guy that just finds ways to produce. Um, he is going to get under the opponent's skin. You know, he was in the mix for a, a spot at the World Juniors this year. Didn't ultimately make it. Um, that's a guy where you say, okay, well, he's got time. He's taken a big step. I'm sure we'll see him back in the OHL next year because he's not a big guy. Um, still needs to get strength, but the tenacity and the way that he plays, I, I just have a lot of time for for what he's done and where he's going um, in his game. So two good players that are really uh, trending up and are looking like really strong picks for Philadelphia. All right, our next question comes from Charger Jay. 
And only a guess what team this is a fan Charger J is a fan of. Hey, Chris, would Gabe Perot be a top five pick in a redraft? So Gabe Perot, uh, very interesting. Currently second in NCAA scoring, uh, first in points per game. Um, I mean, he's only behind Will Smith right now, and that's because he missed a game. Uh, but, let, I mean, what the Boston College team has, as a whole has done this year has been really crazy. What their players have done um, this year is even crazier, uh, especially their freshman players, and that, of course, would include Gabe Perot, who has 1.67 points per game so far this season, leading all of college hockey, 50 points in 30 games for the Eagles, 75 shots on goal. Just a remarkable season for him. So would he go top five in a redraft? No. And I can say that pretty confidently. I, I think Jake per, or I think Gabe Perot is a fantastic player. He is one of the smartest hockey players I've had the pleasure of watching. He has vision like I really have not seen very often. Um, and I think that those key factors are part of what makes him such a special player. However, as we've seen in recent drafts, it, it the threshold for a wing to be picked in the uh, in the top five, it requires elite level goal scoring typically, and it also can include size. You think about guys like Patrick Laine, you know, Cutter Goche was a top five pick. You know, those if you're not a center or a defenseman going in the top five, the threshold's very high. Um, and, and I think for Gabe Perot, there were enough concerns about his skating and his size that he was never going to truly challenge for a top five pick. Yes, I know what his numbers say this year. And yes, I understand that in terms of probabilities, a player that scores at that level at his age in college hockey has a high probability of being a really good NHL player. But it still doesn't guarantee everything because he does still have skating issues to work on. I think that you know, he's a competitive player, but the physical strength still needs to come along for him to impact games. And, you know, you look at how he's performed in college where it is a fast physical game. Um, and, and the fact that he's played with the two guys that he's most familiar with for the longest time in Will Smith and, and, uh, and Ryan Leonard, those are all factors that you take into consideration. But I think it's far too early to say that he would be a top five talent in the draft. Could we all be wrong about him and that the production tells us everything we need to know about him? Absolutely, that's possible. Um, because I think that, you know, he set the record for the NTDP scoring last year. He's a top scorer in college hockey this year. I don't, but, you know, if you were to ask me, do I think he's ready for the NHL right now? My answer would be no. And I don't think he's necessarily close yet either because of the physical aspects of his game that still need to develop. Mentally, unquestionably thinks the game at an NHL plus level, which is really outstanding. So that to me is where I, why Gabe Perot is going to have a very good career, but to say he would be a top five pick. I still think teams are going to lean towards centers and defensemen in that range. And really the top 10, you're going to see mostly centers and defensemen go. And I think that's going to be true this year's draft as well. All right, going to rip through a couple more here. Um, and this, we're going to go a little rapid fire on this one with uh, Nate Hawk, who asks, what do you project Sam Renzel to be in the, uh, in the NHL? And what can you see his timeline to make the jump? 
I mean, I think that Sam is, uh, we've talked about him before. I think he's probably a, a, you know, a bottom pairing defenseman at the NHL level uh, with the opportunity to potentially move into a top four as like a number four, potentially on the power play. He's really good at moving pucks. He's starting to find more ways to get pucks out of the zone. His skating ability is really good for his size. Um, There's a smoothness to his game. I still have concerns about him defensively. I think his hockey sense at times kind of, Gives, leaves a little bit to be desired. Um, but I think in terms of his timeline to jump, I think there's no sooner than after next season. I think he still needs another year of college hockey. He needs to continue developing, needs to build strength. Um, and, and I could even see, you know, remember, he went to school a little bit late. So a lot of these first-round draft picks go right into college. He did an extra year in the USHL. So, you know, he still has three years of eligibility after the season in, in the NCAA only three, uh, you know, he'll only have two years before his NHL draft rights, two years after this season, before his NHL draft rights could potentially expire. And then, you know, either the Blackhawks could get a compensatory pick or Sam Renzel goes, you know, and signs signs with them and, and, and all that stuff. So anything is possible. But I, I think for me, no sooner than after next season. Um, and And there would still need to be progression in this game before I think that that would make sense for him. All right. Our next question comes from Maxwell and Maxwell asks, I'll leave this open to your interpretation, but what are the traits in a prospect? The teams or scouting departments are beginning to value more as the game changes. Well, this is interesting because I don't think that they ever stopped valuing this, but I don't think that they put as much. I think there was a period of time where they allowed more the numbers to dictate their decisions on these types of players, but Size is very much back in vogue in the NHL. Um, I think teams point to the St. Louis Blues, the Vegas Golden Knights, and the way that they won their Stanley Cups with heaviness, with you know, with with heart being hard to play against. Um, you know, I think that we've seen, you know, the Colorado Avalanche, they they got bigger for their defense. You know, they went and they had Eric Johnson, they had Josh Manson, you know, the players that they wanted to to bring in, and you know, other players kind of moved by the wayside once the playoffs hit and so those higher end players. So I do think players that are bigger are going, this has always been the case, but I, I feel like as I talk to more people today, the size conversation is as big a part of it as anything. I talked about Max Swanson, you know, highly productive USHL player, but he's a five foot seven player. The threshold for him to make it to the NHL is incredibly high. Some teams are just simply going to shy away from that risk. But I don't think that they're going to, you know, outright ignore ignore it. There are certainly teams that won't put as much stock into size, but there are still a lot of teams that do. And so I think that that size, um, you know, handedness, all these different things, they're they're very much a part of that big conversation. Um, but there are there are the key things that every player still needs to have. There still has to be a higher level of hockey sense. There still needs to be skating ability. You know, bigger players might be able to be less in those categories. But they still have to be at a at, at an at a level that would be acceptable for the NHL in order to be drafted. So I really do think you know we we like to say well size doesn't matter. I think that you you look at teams that are the way that they're drafting, the way that they're building teams, the value they're placing on size. I I just think that that is kind of gone back a little bit towards the way it used to be, and I don't see that trend stopping until you know maybe. If Carolina has a lot of these guys that they've drafted that are undersized skilled players that are that are going to come through and they win a Stanley Cup with that group, 
then maybe it changes, but we'll have to wait and see. All right, our next question comes from Jack as we get closer and closer to the end here. And Jack says, does Frank Nazar leave Michigan after the season or does he return for his junior campaign? Um, you know, I think the important thing is to remember is having lost a season to injury last year, you know, Nazar certainly, um, you know, didn't necessarily get the level of development that he could have if he was healthy. Um, I think this year he's come back very strong. I don't necessarily think that what he's shown so far suggests that he's NHL ready. Um, you know, you look at his numbers this season, 35 points in 32 games, pretty good, um, you know, over a point per game. Um, but, you know, I still think there's more for him to do. I would, if if I were, you know, Chicago and I were him, I would at least be having the conversation about is going back for another year the right thing. Um, I think he can handle himself in the AHL next year, but I think he'd be in the AHL at least for a full season. So if that's going to be the case, some players would prefer to stay in the college game, you know, stay with the guys that they're familiar with, try and, you know, chase the national championship, all those other things. Um, and I think it'll maybe depend on who else goes from Michigan. Does Rucker McGrady leave? Does, uh, I mean, there aren't a ton of guys on their current roster that are great candidates to sign early, um, you know, and 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 they're having a pretty good recruiting class coming in, um, you know, with, with Michael Hage and Matt Bagradine, um, you know, two guys that could potentially go in the first round of the NHL draft. So I think there might be some hesitation from some of those guys knowing the a national championship could be there. Um, and quite frankly, I think that Nazar could use another year um, there. All right. Our next one comes from hockey skeptic. And this is, is time running out for Turcotte? And I am going to assume you're talking about Alex Turcotte, who of course was drafted by the uh, the Los Angeles Kings, uh, fifth overall in that same draft where we saw Jack Hughes go first overall. And Alex Turcott um, was the second player picked from his team, uh, that, and he was picked fifth overall. So he's gotten nine games in the NHL this year. He finally scored his first NHL goal. He's got 21 NHL games, period. Um, he's been below a point-per-game player throughout his AHL career. He's battled injury, illness. Um, it has not been an easy go for Alex Turcott since his draft year. And do I think there could have been some misevaluation there at the beginning? Yes. Um, I also, you know, I had him third on my board for that draft year. I thought that the competitiveness, the the hockey intelligence, the 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 pace that he played with, the aggressiveness that he played with, and then the skill on top of it was enough. But I did hear from enough people that said, I don't think he's really dynamic enough. I don't think that, you know, is it to be a top five pick. Um, the Kings obviously, did, you know, felt that he was. And now that he's 23 years old, um, and actually he'll turn, turn 20, or he just turned 23 uh, a couple days ago, that's kind of the cutoff line. That's the spot where you say, okay, if you're not showing enough progression yet, are you going to make it? I think, you, you know, the dream of him living up to the number five overall pick status is gone. However, can he be an everyday NHLer? That's the next phase here for um, Alex Turcott. And I'm not sure. And so I would say, yes, time is beginning to run out. Um, maybe it's time for a change of scenery. Maybe it's time, you know, he's got nine games in the NHL this year. Um, but the question is, is, is there going to be enough of an impact? Loved the player when I was watching him in his draft year. Thought there was a ton of great things that we saw at Wisconsin. I thought that he probably could have used another year, um, but he goes to the AHL. You know, that was the COVID year too, so things were really challenging, especially for the guys out west. 
um, you know, the, 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 the schedule and everything else showed some promise there, but things have kind of not gone the way. And, and again, injury has been a major factor in this. Can't discount that at all. And that does happen sometimes. I don't think everything on this is, is Turcotte on Turcotte, but you know, you got to find a way to get through. He hasn't necessarily done that yet. So that is a tough one. And uh, a player I really like and am still rooting for because, you know, I think that there's, you know, it's 23 is, is not, should not be this spell the end of your career. I don't think it does, but it does give us a little bit of insight into how much time is left. And I would say to your question, yes, time is running out. All right. Next question comes from Garrick. And this is a future looking one, looking ahead to the next two NHL drafts. And this one is in your opinion, would any of Hagen's Porter Martone, Gavin McKenna and Bjork uh, or any other high end prospects in the 25, 26 drafts be ranked ahead of Celebrini if they were in this year's draft? I'm going to make this one quick. No, I don't think any of them um, have the profile yet. I think McKenna uh, could be eventually. Um, he is very interesting. We talked about him at the end of last week's podcast. The numbers that he's putting up are Bedard-esque in terms of you know the, the actual counting stats. Um, I don't think that he's as gifted a goal scorer or, you know, but is his playmaking ability at the same level as Bedard's goal scoring? I'm not necessarily sure, but the numbers certainly are. And that's very intriguing nonetheless. So, um, but I don't think any of those players stack up to the complete player that Celebrini is. I, I cannot stress that enough. Macklin Celebrini is a complete center. He plays the game at both ends of the ice. He's incredibly competitive. He doesn't shy away from contact. He's aggressive. He's com- just, and then he's skilled and he's fast and he's got all those things. I don't think any of those players have the profile. And, and Porter Martone is a real interesting player. James Higgins is a really interesting player. Anton Frondel, who uh, was not mentioned, is another player that I think is a really intriguing one for 2025. Um, but I just think that none of those players, in my estimation, based on what I've seen, stack up to the the full complement of skill that Celebrini has at this point. Another forward-looking one, and this one comes from Hawks Hockey, and this one is, hey, Chris, where would you have Logan Hensler if he were in the 24 class? Does he match up in a tier with the top D in the class, Levshunov, Dickinson, Parekh, or is he a tier below for you? Another fairly quick answer. I think he is a tier below. I At the beginning of this season, when I saw Logan Hensler at the Fall Classic, I thought we were t- looking at a potential top five pick for next year's draft. Um, the speed, the skating, the the offensive sense, his ability to, you know, the reach, all these things. He's got the size. He has a package of skills that are really intriguing, and he's got the size to go with it. He's heading to the University of Wisconsin next year. So he'll be a college uh, a college draftee. We'll see how good the Badgers are. They've obviously been great this year. Do they continue that next year um, uh, if he does indeed go there um, next year? And then, you know, he's got six foot two right shot defenseman. I mean, like those guys are, are always going to be in that mix, but his offensive game is not at the level of those other guys that you mentioned. Um, you know, not at Levshinov's level, not at um, Dickinson's level, not close to Perek. So those players, because of that offensive capability that they have, that's what separates them. I still think Logan Hensler has the tools to be a first round draft pick in next year's draft, even potentially a top 20 pick. I'm less I'm less convinced that he's going to be a top 10 level pick because I think that I've seen enough this year where he hasn't necessarily produced the level I expected that he would. um, And that, you know, that's kind of impacting where I think he could ultimately go, but a good question and a player that I'm really excited to watch going into next season. All right. Our final question of the day is one. uh, This was in the news. You might not have seen it, but the question is thoughts on the QMJHL plan 
of reducing their regular season schedule. So if you didn't see, the QMJHL did announce that they have approved, uh, preliminarily approved a, a reduced schedule from going from 68 games to 64 games. Um, they are saying this is in, in, you know, basically for development purposes, giving their players a better opportunity, also giving them better, uh, something better for um, academics and other things like that. Um, here's how that compares to other leagues. The USHL has a 62-game schedule. OHL is at 68, WHL is at 68, BCHL is at 54, um, and then the NCAA is, you you know, if you make it to the postseason and go on a deep run, you play 40 to 42 games. Um, usually most teams are going to end up playing in that 35 to 38 range. Um, so those are, it's a pretty low schedule. I like the move by the QMJHL for a number of reasons. I actually wouldn't be surprised, and I don't necessarily think that they should wait terribly long, but I think the OHL and the WHL should also consider a reduced schedule. Any opportunity, like I do think that fewer games would lead to more practice time, more opportunities to manage a schedule better. Um, the thing that the OHL and the CHL, I think, wants to keep going for it is that their schedule is more like an NHL schedule than the college schedule, which is, you know, they're one of their primary, primary competitors for elite talent. Um, and so they, that is often the argument that will be used it, it, you play more games, you get more reps. However, I do think the junior level is still about development and there is a lot of development that happens away from games. There's no question. The repetitions of games cannot be even replicated in practice. Um, it can't, but, but I do think that more practice time is a good thing for players at those ages. They're still in the skill acquisition phase. Cognitively, they're still able to pick up more things. And if they're getting in regular instruction and practice, and they're they're practicing plenty now. We're let's not say you know. And and obviously, you know, the OHL, the WHL, QMJHL put enough players in the NHL to say, hey, our development system works the way that it is. But you know, taking four games off the schedule isn't a real huge sacrifice um and, and i think the other thing too that's important to remember is especially in the qmjhl and the whl is the different travel situations in the ohl the way that the schedule is set up you know your travel is not terribly onerous you can play really close to your hometown um often in the in the, in the ohl it's one of my favorite things about it is that you know if i wanted to i could hit six games in a week um you know and not really drive that far to do it um so it's very interesting in that regard um, for that. But, you know, the, the, the WHL has a very onerous travel situation where, you know, you're going long distances, long bus rides. Um, and then also the QMJHL has that similar situation where, you know, if you're in the Maritimes, you might have various uh, long trips that you have to go through and, you know, taking ferries or taking, uh, you know, small short flights or whatever you have. Um, but, but I do think that, you know, fewer games, is is a step in the direction of development um and it's not at a huge cost in terms of what is lost um and so i think in general um they could be the leader in this uh, i wouldn't be shocked to see the other leagues follow suit at some point maybe they won't um but i do think that the qmjhl acting autonomously to, to, to do that um with the approval of the chl um is a good thing and i think the qmjhl in general is is probably thinking they're looking at their draft numbers and they've gone down a little bit, you know, and this year they're probably not going to have a first round draft pick in there uh, among QMJHL players, um, which is obviously a, a kind of an alarming thing. So anything you can do to increase the level of development in the league, I think is going to be a good thing. 
Um, all right. Well, I actually, the other thing I wanted to quickly talk about because I skipped right over it before I went into my listener Q&A um, is a new segment I want to try out on the podcast. Um, since we are at Flow Hockey, <coughs> excuse me, uh, I wanted to tell you a little bit, you know, kind of recap some of the things that you can see on Flow Hockey. And if you didn't see this weekend, one of the craziest visuals I've seen in college hockey, maybe in my lifetime, uh, was in Alaska, Alaska Fairbanks versus Arizona State. And you already know what I'm talking about because this went completely viral. The game ended with over 400 and penalty, 400 penalties in minutes. They had a fist fight, a gloves off, helmets off fight where the players left the penalty box. The referees called the game with 11 seconds remaining in regulation. And it the game also essentially ended Arizona State's title hopes, their or tournament hopes. They had a they, they still have it, but it's it it is a shrill, just a, a shred of a chance to make the NCAA tournament as an independent. The margin for error for them throughout their season is so small. And they lose a game. There were three goals scored in the final three minutes of that game, two from Fairbanks and one from Arizona State. That one tied the game at 1-1 from Arizona State. Then there was a major penalty that led to a power play. Arizona or Alaska scored on both of those, and all hell broke loose after that. Um, there was basically a college hockey version of a line brawl. Then the two players left the penalty box to continue the fight. Um, suspensions have been handed down. The player from Arizona state that left the penalty box to fight has been removed from team activities for the remainder of the season. Um, and we are still waiting to find out more about supplemental discipline, but I've never seen it. You can watch the entire thing with all the goals, the penalties, the fights, everything on flowhockey.tv. You can also check it out on the flow hockey YouTube page, but I love watching Alaska hockey because it's on at like 10 o'clock central time. Uh, and you know, we, we have the Alaska Nanooks on flow hockey. I call it hockey after dark because crazy things can happen. That was the craziest thing I've seen. It looked like something out of slap shot. There's a lot of, you know, debate and I'm sure a lot of people were not happy to see that. I don't, you know, love seeing that either. I don't think it was a good look for either team. Um, but there are those situations where things boil over. Emotions run high and they spill out in certain ways. And that was about as crazy as you could see. So we'll be talking about more great things that you could see on flow hockey. Don't forget that you should be subscribed to flowhockey.tv right now. So you can make sure you are ready for the ACHA nationals. Those are coming up next week, starting on March 7th, the ACHA non-varsity college hockey is on flow hockey. We have all five divisions, every game from the ACHA nationals, I am myself, product of Iowa State University, worked for the club hockey team there, uh, the non-varsity hockey team there for my last two years of school. ACHA hockey is a great level, a great brand of hockey. We just had the Division II regionals. I watched a bunch of them, super fun. Uh, so make sure you are watching the ACHA Nationals. And then, of course, Atlantic Hockey, CCHA, CHA, USHL, BCHL, AJHL, OJHL, a lot of JHLs, uh, the USPHL, the NCDC, all those things. 
We've got it all for you on Flow Hockey and, of course, great professional hockey from the ECHL and the SPHL as well. So sign up today. Don't miss it. That is going to do it for this week's episode. It's a bit of a long one. Thanks for all the all of you that asked questions. A huge thanks to Josh for producing once again. And, uh, yeah, let's do this again uh, next week as we talk more and more about the world of hockey right here on Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time.